0: Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and excited to have with me Karen Zilberstein today. So welcome, Karen.
1: Thank you. So nice to be here.
0: Yes, nice to meet you. And we met through ACES Connection.
1: That's right.
0: Yes. And um, so, yeah, so we were just talking beforehand before we started recording. You have a book coming out uh, March 25th, which is exciting. Yay. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, so tell us about the work you do and about this book that you've written.
1: Okay, well, the book is called Parents Under Pressure, Struggling to Raise Children in an Unequal America, and it came out of my work as a psychotherapist, even though it's not a how-to psychotherapy book. Um, I was really struck by how many of the clients I see, and I work with children and families, and I work with a lot of families who've had contact with the child welfare system, either because they've had difficulties in their family or because they've adopted children from the foster care system. And I've been struck by how many families just don't have the supports they need. Right. So I would sit in psychotherapy with them, listening to their stories and helping them and thinking sometimes, you know, psychotherapy isn't what should be number one on your bucket list. You you need more money or you need more time or you need more childcare help because you have a very difficult child. And you know psychotherapy one hour a week isn't going to make much of a dent. We're going to measure this in years. And in the meantime, I was seeing so many stressed out parents. Right. So I wanted to write a book about that rather than just simply how to solve this problem. What exactly is the problem? And are we piling too high expectations on parents who have large burdens of care and lots of demands in their life. And is this really an individual problem of the parents to be solved through psychotherapy, or is this a community problem that we should be helping parents with?
0: Yes, very well, much. I work uh, worked in an agency here in Cincinnati, a mental health agency, and they also provided um you know early childhood care
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um the head start and early head start programs and yes, and foster care but this was all part of this agency and just um yeah, seeing what these families are struggling with um yeah. You and, know, they and they, love- yeah good they want they want to help their kids they want to do what 's best, but when they are overwhelmed um it just it just becomes so difficult like they don't know which direction to go in to start you know
1: they don't know which direction to go in and we don't make it easy right so and i'm part of the service sector so i have to it's my own field but we make it so complicated to access care to find the right therapist to need to go to some some of these parents have so many meetings have to meet with the school every week have to meet with the occupational therapist have to meet they can't even keep up with the appointments Right. They're all fragmented. They're all different people and they all do assessment. There's no sort of coordinated care for them. And that's creating stress too. Sure.
0: So well, sometimes- trying to maintain a job and trying to maintain if they have other children in the household who might not have an IEP or, you know, there's just a relationship with a, with a partner or spouse. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I, in the book I look at that, I've been profiling, there's six in-depth stories of families with uh, struggling with different issues. But I also look back at how we came to this idea of parenting, that parenting, that parents were gonna have to do it all by themselves, and how we really didn't evolve a social services sector that was organized. We, we sort of put it together piecemeal. So I'm giving you some historical and other background as well to put this context.
0: Yeah, well, I think about, you know, if, if we're talking about that historical part of it, you know, families were, um, you know, that extended family. You had that sense of community. Yeah. Um, and not even just, you know, family members, but it extended out beyond to to neighborhoods and so forth. I was reading a book recently about that, and I can't remember what book it was. My sister had given it to me, and it talked about how uh, this particular person uh, who was a physician. A heart doctor grew up um, in New York City. And, you know, it had started where there was such a big sense of community in their, their small, their neighborhood. Um, and they all kind of took care of each other. And people watched out for each other's kids. And, um, and then it just started to disintegrate. And people started to feel isolated. And I, I'm thinking a lot of these families feel very isolated.
1: They feel really isolated. And when they have a child who's has you know, different abilities or is not neurotypical, they're isolated because their children don't have play dates. Yeah. And yeah. that's often how relationships happen or because they can't reciprocate the help that somebody else gives them because they don't have the time and the resources. So they get more and more isolated. And I, I do think the studies have shown that our communities, our sense of community and community welfare is breaking down and we've become more and more individualistic And that's placing more and more burdens on individual parents.
0: Right, absolutely.
1: And it's very unequal. I mean, the reason I have unequal in the the title is because if you have money and privilege, the system will work for you because you can hire help or you tend to be in neighborhoods where there's more resources or schools where there's more resources. And if you're not in that, position it's very
0: hard for you right and I can't even imagine and not to really play devil's advocate a little bit but just being with my on my circle of friends of Facebook how many I see you know the moms putting out there about how overwhelmed how much anxiety they're experiencing how stressed they are you know and these are people who have the resources available but they still feel that I think sometimes that sense of isolation and um, not quite knowing where to turn and what to do yeah yeah so and I can't even imagine for people who don't have the resources yeah Yeah, for sure um so what what resources have you used you know to help you along this journey to coming to this How, how did you get to this place where um you felt the need to write this book
1: I well I've always liked writing so I wanted I was writing journal articles um about some of these which Reach one, it reaches an academic audience, but there was a lot I wanted to say that was more anecdotal that you can't put into a journal article because they're what we know in the field, but we don't have the statistics to back it up. And I wanted also writing that was more creative and that could give you a real feel—you know—that you would read about these families and their predicaments and feel the emotions. Yes. They feel and feel their position and get their perspective. It's really from the parents' perspective. Um, so that's where I went, and I started by interviewing a lot of different families, and then I picked six that were articulate and well-spoken and had very compelling stories and were willing to let me push and prod for hours and hours to get full story. Um, and then I, I supplemented it with some interviews with professionals because okay. I didn't want it to be completely one-sided. And right. the thing is that the professionals pretty much confirmed what the parents said, which is, yeah, our systems do not reach that far to right. help. We're constrained. We don't have enough funding. We don't have enough resources. We'd love to be doing a lot more and we just can't. Right. Which was really interesting that I wanted to get two sides of the picture and I ended up getting almost the same score. I was going to say that they said,
0: um, yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So do you think there? I mean, what, what is the solution? Do you have an idea or, or what, are, what are the experts saying are, are, are a solution?
1: The solutions are complicated. Um, I mean, part of what I found when I was meeting with professionals and agencies is that there are a lot of small programs around this country that are really innovative and that, have, that are addressing the problem but in small ways and in small communities. And that's a good thing, except that we don't have it on a large scale. So, Mm -hmm. and and there are some, where I live in Western Massachusetts, there's a few programs that I highlight in the book, and one is called the Treehouse Communities, which is a collaborative community living situation for people um, who have adopted out of the foster care system and they live together, there's 12 houses, and they've got lots of social workers on staff. There's senior housing on site, and the seniors, you know, low income, and the seniors volunteer to help the families. So there's lots of, it's built on a model of partnership, and everybody helping each other, and a community center that's open where the kids can go every day, and the parents don't have to do everything. They have that sense of shared caretaking.
0: Yeah, that sense of community that we had just talked about. Yeah, for sure.
1: There's another program here called It Takes a Village that offers volunteers when a mother gives birth. Anybody in the area, they can get a volunteer who will come into their house. I forget how many hours, four to six hours a week, three to five. I can't remember the exact. But what's nice is that it's not restricted. You know, most services, they say this person will come and they do A, B, and C. This person comes and does anything you want. They can hold the baby for you while you nap. They can weed your garden. They can do your dishes. You know, that's what real help is, isn't it? Yeah. it? Is being at the discretion of the mom. So I think there's a lot. And across the country, there's other models, too, that are really great. We just don't know how to scale them up. And we might need to just say it's community by community. But I think what's harder is that the big institutions are going to be very hard to change. Right. So, and for schools to really meet the needs of the kids they serve, they're overburdened.
0: Oh, which- I was just going to say, having worked in, you know, the school system through that mental health agency, you know, I was in the schools and yes, I mean, just the teachers, you know, they want to help these kids um, and, and in over in then administration. And then the parents, I mean, it is, it's just, yeah. it's a lot to take on.
1: It's a lot to take on. Um, You need to be a really talented teacher to be able to differentiate for all the kids in your class. Resources are limited, so they can't get, you could probably do it better if class sizes could be smaller. But that again, if you're in a wealthy district, you probably have more resources for your children. If you're in a poorer area, since schools are partly funded by taxes, they have less tax money, they have fewer resources, and they have the greatest needs. So... The question is, can we eventually, as a country, have the will to put money into these institutions?
0: Oh, for sure. I
1: don't know if we do. Yeah. Yeah. So in the meantime, it's going to be these smaller programs that come in and pick up. So
0: anyway, so yeah, so so Sammy, you know, I just think it's, I don't want to say it's simplistic, that what she does because it's so powerful to watch this dog have such an incredible impact on children,
1: yeah.
0: no matter. But I, my point being is that, you know, we can do these very simple gestures. I mean, yeah. you know, ours is a volunteer gesture um, to just help relieve anxiety in the class classroom, to help offer these children, you know, just a, a, a a moment of hope, a a moment of respite, you know, just to, um, just to help them through their day a little bit more. And, you know, Sammy teaches them a lot along the way, but again, it's a community, you know, more and more people are starting to step forward and do these kinds of things to help, to help kids um, and help the teachers and help the, you know, the school system. So
1: I do think that the conversation is beginning to change and that people more and more when I'm reading now, I'm reading about community and the need for community, and the need to help each other out. And I'm hoping that the narrative will change. I think we went to a very individualistic stage. And the world, America got very competitive. Getting a college degree got very important, especially as income inequality was growing. Then you're racing to get your kids into that upper echelon and not a minimum wage job where they can't support themselves. I think that created anxiety up and down the system. And then parents and children became more insular just thinking about what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? Because of that anxiety.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I
1: remember my I have three kids and my, my
0: second, my son, Jake. Um, yeah. Trying to decide, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And almost like this, like, ah, like yeah. trying to figure out. Right. <laughs> and, and just tremendous anxiety. Well, you know, with both of my older children. Um,
1: We've created a lot of anxiety for parents.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's an interesting phenomenon because as we get more, as psychotherapy is so helpful. I mean, one of the things that came out of the book was that psychotherapy actually was one of the most helpful and supportive services the parents found. But historically, as psychotherapy has become more prevalent and parenting advice has you know, scientific parenting, this is what you should do, we have all of these things, this, you need to make your child more resilient, this is how you build social skills. As all of that expert advice goes out, it creates more anxiety. Yeah. And it creates more pressure on parents. Oh no, am I doing it right? Oh no, do I know the latest? Oh, and you know, there isn't really a right and wrong that way. Right. There's different ways of parenting, and these are some of these ideas, they're not the gold standard. So, but we've created a lot of anxiety along with the help because there's this idea that you can do better, you can do better. You can better. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And my, my philosophy
0: is if you were, you know, and I've told my kids, I know I screwed up along the way. I know there was things I, you know, that I did wrong. I mean, I say wrong, <laughs> okay. but it was never done with bad intentions. Like at the, at the heart of everything was always love you know, the things I did for my children.
1: Um, yeah, you know. and that is fine. Actually, who wants a perfect parent? Right. Can you imagine the pressure that would put on the kid to be perfect?
0: Yeah.
1: The message is you make a mistake and you
0: deal with it. And, and then that's it. And I would say, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And that that to me, I think, says a lot to a child when, yeah, I mean, the lesson that you learn that, you know, you're gonna make mistakes, and it's okay. And you, you know, move on from it. You know, a lesson learned for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, any um, myths or facts that you want to clarify for listeners, you know, about, um, you know, maybe parenting or even the foster well, care system.
1: I, I think one myth would be that parenting has to be child-centered and intensive, and that we have, as you said before, there were extended families that used to be involved. Uh, somebody, uh, there used to be something called alloparenting. There still is. But alloparenting is when even people not in the family are helping to take care of a child. And children can come out very well without their parents being that intensive. They need adult influences. 100% doesn't have to come from parents. So I'd like to have this myth that if the, and that if a parent can't do it, it means that they're not capable. If they can't do everything. Because I think we end up blaming this idea that it's child-centered and it's the parent that has to do everything, and if something's wrong, that it's the parent's fault. I think that's a myth. Some families have huge burdens, um, burdens that most people wouldn't be able to take on. It's not the fault of the parent. What they need is more help. Yeah. And, And I think if we could shift our thinking as a community and as a culture from that it's your responsibility to it's our responsibility and what do parents need rather than what's wrong with parents, I think that could start things in a different direction. Okay. Because we would start getting more innovation and more services like I spoke about before, more programs like that, more people willing to volunteer like you do. Yeah. And help others, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think of the whole—I think of the whole self-care aspect of it, and how you know, if people are just afforded as parents just a little bit of time for some self-care, um, that what a difference that makes. You know, when their anxiety is lowered and they are in a calmer state, how that then that energy, you know, is is. Um, Oh, I'm so, drawing a blank, you know, like transferred to their child, um, you know, and it just, just the energy in the household in general when you're allowed, um, you know, but when you're so overwhelmed, feeling like you said, like child centered that you have to be doing it all, and you right. that's extremely daunting and yes, yeah, very overwhelming. Yeah,
1: it's very overwhelming. And when you don't have the financial resources or the time and you have other stresses and you can't do it, yeah, then all you do is feel bad right.
0: And, yeah. yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So I know we had talked, I have my favorite question and I know it was one of what, those that you were like, I don't know if that applies to me, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw it at you anyway, only because I do a series on YouTube called who would it be? And so mm-hmm. I take the answers from all of my podcast guests and I make just a little clip of this answer alone <laughs> and I do it as like a little mini, a little mini uh, video because I, I just, I love, the same, I love the answers that I get to this. So yeah. if you could meet anyone, dead or alive, to help you with your journey, who would it be?
1: So I'm not going to give the name of a person. Okay. I'm going to give, in my study of parenting, you know, when I was working on this book, I did read about parenting in different times and ages. And the idea of alloparenting is an idea from hunter and gatherer communities that really need to help each other out for the sake of the whole community. I would love to be back into a different historical era. We We parent for our time and then we get stuck in that. I would love to go back, you know, millions of years or thousands of years and see what type of parenting was done and what were the pros and the cons. And That's a really cool answer. Yeah, because I really—it's very cultural. We, what we do, and it's important to parent for your culture, but it also blindsides us to what the other options are.
0: Yes, yes. Well, especially when we—I mean, think of—that just made me think of how you know integrated, like we're trying to embrace all cultures, you know, and we're weaving this beautiful, you know, right. overall culture that we have. But then that loss of individual cultural in that process, yeah, and you're right.
1: And, and we are trying to weave all cultures, but we're not trying to do that with parenting. I think we have a very strong dominant parenting philosophy about what parents should be doing for their children, and it is not relevant cross-culturally. Right. But I think it's so dominant that it's being imposed cross-cultural at this point. And if you look at the the books that are being read and the research that's coming out, there's definitely a dominant philosophy that's child-centered as this is how you're going to have the best outcomes. And you need to follow your child's needs and you need to be emotionally responsive. And I have no problem with that. I think it works great. But there are communities that have used other methods. Right. And I think they're not... Being given much
0: weight at all yeah and, and i get what you're saying i truly do i mean i'm i'm certainly a big fan you know especially through aces um connection of the building resiliency in children and you know and and in the parents as well um and helping parents heal right. because to stop the cycles you know that are that are still there and present um but yeah i love the idea i truly do of a sense of community We research you know I know in my uh, circle, we have a a sense of community and watch out for one another's kids and um, we're, we're tight knit. And it is really a relief to know that we can pick up the phone and call somebody and be like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, I got this, this, this going on. Can you, can you help out?
1: Um,
0: And how many people, you know, that step up and do like the meal trains and, you know, if somebody's, you know, suddenly got breast cancer or whatever it is. So, yeah.
1: And, and so let's talk a little bit about parenting through ACEs, which is really hard. And the dominant philosophy is really requires a parent to be very regulated, in control of their emotions, right? It's talking softly and reasonably to their child, right. which is not who somebody necessarily. I mean, not everybody with ACEs is dysregulated, but it ups your risk for right. emotions dysregulation right and that's so these types of parenting that we want to do and that we see as we consider right now to be the best but it's going to be very hard so what is the support that that parent needs not to be left alone when they're dysregulated but to have somebody else possibly who can help them regulate who they can call who will help them calm down who might step in while they take a walk around the block yes Right? I mean, all of that would help tremendously rather than saying, shame on you for being dysregulated. Right. Be, and all, okay. We know you, you have this, so let's think how we can help you.
0: Right. And, right. It, and it seems to keep coming back to a sense of community, having right. people, you know, around you and building that support system right. of, um, you know, making sure you have people in place, Um, that can help you. And I talked about this yesterday on an interview that I did with someone, but I'm I'm going to say it again because I think it really drives home the point. My dad hit my sister and I until I was 10 years old. Like it it was just, we were terrified and it was violent. And, but my dad, for whatever reason, and I don't know why he's since passed, so I can't ask him, but um, started seeing a counselor. So he was in psychotherapy and, When I was 10 years old, I'll never forget the day he called me um, into his room and he sat me down on his lap and he said, I now know that I was hitting you out of anger. It's what I grew up with. I never should have hit you. I am so very sorry and I will never hit you again. Mm -hmm. And it was such a profound moment for me as a child because one here was the six foot six 280 pound man apologizing to me for hurting me. but you know the fact that he was able to almost before Aces, you know, and all of this resilient stuff was on the scene, um, able to start to deal with what was happening with him, and then turn around and have it impact me on such a profound level level as a child. You know, that's what we're talking about is helping these people um, learn. Yeah. How their how their childhood impacted them and what they can do to then, um, you know, help their child.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my point would just be, I think what that's an extraordinary story that you just told. Thanks. And it's wonderful that your father could do that. I think that there's lots of people with the best of intentions who just can't really control themselves, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of years. Right. So again, what we like to take kids away from families um, when they're really struggling. And I, I wish we would ask more what does this family need to be able to make it? One of the things that have been shown interesting is that maltreatment rates go up as income go down, sorry, as income goes up. So you know, when you take financial stress away, you tend to get less maltreatment, you get less anger, you get less stress. But what do we need to do to reduce the stress on families? Your, your father said it was anger. I think right. for a lot, it's stress. What can we do to reduce that stress? Would it help a parent to know that they weren't in it alone? Yes. And anxiety down. Yes. Right. It, and and I can't get over the tipping point.
0: Right, and I do agree with that because that's a really great point. Because my dad's anger was triggered by my mom was a severe alcoholic, and so she would scream, "Jam!" You know, if we made any noise, and my dad would come swinging with the belt. So to silence the children. But after that, my dad started attending Al-Anon, and then got my sister and I in and Alateen. You know, got us involved in programs, and so he put that support network in place to help him with you know obviously his anger just didn't go away right he just had to learn ways of dealing with it other than hitting his children in his frustration did he still get angry and yell yes you know was i still scared sometimes absolutely because i didn't know for sure if he wasn't going to come back and hit me um but he started we, we started he started to make efforts to put to put things into place
1: and that's a really interesting example because the Alateen. Alcoholic Anonymous, all of those movements give you a sponsor. And it was very much along the model that I'm thinking. That the sponsor, you feel like you're about to crumble, you call your sponsor. There is somebody there who's available to you, to hold you in place. Right, And I think that's a really important piece. Social supports are we know that the, the best thing for mental health is to have social supports. Yes. It really helps.
0: Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. You know, that's part of my philosophy is that, you know, I want to be here through podcasts and offering, you know, a space for you to shine your light and talk about what you, you are doing. Um, it's like a hand to hold for yeah. people. Um, and I just think everybody needs that hand to hold.
1: Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so anything else that you want to address and talk about uh, that we haven't yet?
1: I would, you asked about the myths. So I had mentioned, you know, the uh, individualism, but I think also I want parents to know, I, I wrote this book for two different populations. One was for parents to feel like they had a voice and that their story was being told in a different way. Um, And and a number of the parents in this book have said to me, thank you for giving me a voice. And that because they were feeling like they were terrible parents because they were struggling to get things in place or they were feeling overwhelmed or that it was too much. They had so much guilt and shame. They felt that society was blaming them. One person was told, you're a poor excuse for a parent. when oh. your child had an addiction and was getting in trouble with the law. So they, they were fielding such terrible messages. And it was important for them to know that it was their circumstances as much as anything else. And to have that acknowledged. So I want parents who are struggling to know that they, they shouldn't be blamed. That the system is not supporting them enough. And that they should try to get the support they need. Right. Which I think is very hard when you feel ashamed and guilty about how things are going. And you feel that society is saying, oh, your kids aren't doing well, bad parent. Yes. Um, so, so I wrote it for them. And I also wrote it for professionals to know what we sometimes sound like with parents uh, when we're not giving them the support they need and when we're blaming them and when we're jumping to conclusions and not seeing the whole picture so the myth that if you're struggling you're a bad parent i think needs to be counteracted
0: oh for sure (laughs) yeah yes absolutely what do you what do you suggest you know if there is somebody who's out there struggling and um feeling so overwhelmed you know where where do they reach out first what 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 is there what what do you think they should do
1: yeah and and some of this is going to depend on the time they have but i think the best thing for them to do if they can is to find one professional in their community who really understands because that one professional will be their support and can open the doors for the other services so parents often find that they're researching all over the place to find one parent who had a child with some severe disabilities, they were involved with five different agencies getting services in different ways and having to research and find an applications. If you could find the one, a, a professional, who could be there and can help you, can facilitate it all for you. Not just be support and give sort of psychotherapeutic support, but basically help you plan out what you need and then do the, some advocacy for you as well. Okay. you should never go to a school meeting if the school isn't being cooperative on your own, okay you always have a social support with you, and if it's a professional, even better because professionals have a little bit more voice
0: right, and I know also, I, read I read on, on take a friend. You know? I read on your bio um, you know that you do pro bono work, so it 's not necessarily people shouldn't feel that you know oh i don 't have the money to hire somebody that there's a lot of resources out there that are um, available no matter your financial situation
1: yeah and it it does vary from by communities every community has different resources and some communities have more resources than others and some communities have you know professionals with different areas of expertise so it is community by community but if i was going to put my resources in one area it would be to find that person okay who can then be at my side and help me through all of this and not be alone with it? And who has enough knowledge and knows how to advocate and can tell me what my options are, rather than making me go through all the systems with my head spinning?
0: Right. All right. Very cool. And can people? Do you have a website or can people pre-order your book? Is it available for pre-order
1: it's not yet? Going to be or available for pre-order? It will be available March 25th. Um, at Amazon.com and at Loveless Press. Okay. And I do have a website, mostly for my psychotherapy practice, but the book is up there. Okay. So it's going to be available March 25th.
0: What and what is your website?
1: KarenZilberstein.info.
0: Dot info. Okay, wonderful. And yeah. it'll be and there'll be a link for it there as well. Okay.
1: There'll be a link for it. There as well. All
0: right. Any any last thoughts? No, thank you. Oh, my gosh! Yes, thank you for joining me and uh, yeah, sharing and your insights.
1: Give parents, the supports they need.
0: Yes, and I love it. And thank you, thank you for doing that. And thank you again, you know, for shining your light um, of hope into into this arena. So all right. yeah, all right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, be gentle with yourselves. Thanks. Bye bye.